Today on Podcast by the Bay, current City of Belmont Mayor Doug Kim. We want to make sure that we have a range of housing products available at different affordability levels, and we don't want those units just to be uh, SROs or one-bedroom units. We'd like to see affordable housing made available to families, meaning two or more bedrooms, for example. Discussing all things Belmont, including current projects, and his vision for the future to come. I want folks to know when they've entered uh, into our city from San Mateo, from San Carlos, that Belmont um, is different. And so we're a great suburban community. I want to create a little bit more personality and more reasons for people to come to Belmont. And I want to make sure that we're known for being more than just a stop on the Caltrain system. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for spreading the word and for downloading this episode and for being with us here on Podcast by the Bay. So today, we're going to continue our Mayor on the Peninsula series, and today we're going to feature the Mayor of Belmont, and that's Doug Kim. And so, Patrick, you got to meet Doug, you got to go to Belmont and kind of... um, meet him and, and talk with him about what's happening. So can you give us a little background about Belmont and a little background about Doug? Well, you know, Doug is a, a very fascinating uh, mayor uh, and dedicated citizen. He lives in Belmont, obviously, because he's a mayor. Um, but one of the things you have to understand about Doug, he is an adamant runner, marathon runner. He's run 15 marathons. And I'm going to tell you, it was a marathon to get a hold of him. He was just so busy. Um Doug Kim um, basically is a certified land use transportation environmental planner. He works for Sam Trams, okay? He also, um, his first time to run for election was 2015. So he's been in office for about three years. Um, He was raised on the peninsula, attended public schools where he delivered newspapers. Uh, He rode the Sam Trams bus. He worked at a hot dog stand, learned uh, to devote his career to public service. Uh, certified land use, transportation, environmentalist, planner, helps cities throughout California make tough decisions and how to balance everyone's needs. Um, he's currently on the Sam Tramps uh, uh, Planning Commission. He also worked as a major public policy changer on housing, infrastructure, and environmental sustainability. 
And I want people to really get a, a good feel for him because I did hit him with some hard questions on transportation environment. Little did I know uh, that he was working for Sam Tramps and that uh, I, I asked him some direct questions because one of my passions is to see that somehow we connect the transportation into a, transport, a transportation district where Sam Trams and BART and uh, Caltrains, they all interface so that we have something more than just the uh, clipper car. Uh, Doug is an admit uh, classic rock and roller. He likes R&B. He likes jazz. He visits 30 major, ba- he's visited 30 major ba- baseball stadiums. He has a good understanding of the neighborhood. Uh, he's a very thoughtful person. Uh, his wife is Shelly. They have two kids and they live in a central neighborhood. His girls, Allison and Samantha, attend the public schools. Uh, he was involved in AYSO soccer. Uh, he likes to uh, raise animals, participate in leadership, participate in 4-H. His dog is a Portuguese water dog who believes we are all trespassing at Water Dog Lake and needs to get off this property. And who also has a Portuguese water dog? I think that's President Obama, or our former President Obama. Um, the, the, city of, the city of Belmont is a very unique town. Um, to, to a lot of people, it was known for, for pheasant hunting, deer hunting, um, and gambling at that time, too. A lot of the well-to-do in San Francisco, uh, politicians and people would come out to, uh, out to Belmont, and they would go pheasant hunting, gambling, and, and maybe some of those houses of ill repute, um, but we don't want to mention that here for the family value of thing. Uh, Belmont City is, uh, is close in the Bay Area. The city was incorporated in 1926, uh, and this population is approximately 30,000. 30, Ralston, Ralston Hall is a historic landmark uh, built by Bank of California and former William Chapman Ralston. Um, it's also known to the uh, campus of Notre Dame Didier University, where I got my master's degree in business and teaching in uh, 2010. Um, great opportunity. Um, it, it's got a great Twin Pines right where the city hall is. Uh, uh, the government the government is run real well. They are very creative. They have Oracle. Some of their major employers are Oracle, uh, which you know, obviously Oracle's Redwood Shores, but it's borderline. They have the uh, Safeway, uh, Audubon Motors, uh, Carlmont Gardens, Lenardi's. Uh, so it, it's a really, really nice, tight-knit community. Uh, they are working on a few housing projects. Uh, some of the, the city has um, owned for a while, and they're trying to redevelop in it. Um, I did talk with Doug about workforce housing and affordable housing. I don't think there was any clear definition of any answer that he came forth with but that we just need to keep swinging at the bat and making sure that we make a difference. And I, I don't think there's anything more that I can add, but uh, great public servant, very honored to interview him. And I'm looking forward, Andre, to, to, to interview the Menlo Park, the Atherton, and the San Carlos mayor someday. So anybody out there in podcast land, land out there, reach out. We'd love to interview those mayors. I think we're down to to only three or four mayors that we haven't interviewed. That's right. We've reached out to them, and we're waiting for their response. So hopefully we, we can get a hold of them pretty soon and schedule them 
on our Peninsula Mayor Series. And we do appreciate Doug Kim for taking the time. He does have a busy schedule, so as Patrick said. So we definitely appreciate Doug and um, you know taking his time out of his schedule to actually meet with us and to actually speak to Podcast by the Bay to give the listeners in Belmont, on the Peninsula, really insight on what's happening in Belmont. So with that, um, just quick little kind of personal note. One of the things is my mom, she actually had uh, lived in Belmont for a long time when I was in my probably, uh, you know, five and six years old. And she lived there for probably a good 10, 15 years. And so I actually have a lot of memories in Belmont going to Twin Pines Park. And uh, there was this like really nice kind of a grilled cheese place right where the, the Walgreens is. And there used to be Joe's Barbershop right there on Ralston. And uh, this is back when they had the horse tracks and Marine World was there. So Belmont was a different town back then. And I remember uh, there was this band, uh, this music group, a blues band. It's called the Bay City Blues Band. Anybody who's been in Belmont a long time probably remembers them. They're back in the Peninsula. This is about 25 years ago. And they would play at Twin Pines Park. And then they would play at the St. James Gate back when it was called a different uh, a name and stuff. So there, there's a lot of history there. So, uh, but, but I just remember those memories. Uh, there was a Wendy's there. There was that old barn there right next to the, the train station. There was that old giant pink barn and got, got torn down there. And uh, anyway, so, yeah. So, a- anyways, Belmont has some good memories, uh, you know, uh, good, good interest in uh, just kind of thing like that. So, with that, I'm going to think we're going to go ahead and get to the Doug Kim interview. And we're going to move on. And, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at podcastbythebay. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. So with that signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time a Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Um, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. I'm in the city of Belmont. It's Friday. I have the honor of interviewing uh, Doug Kim. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Doug. And if you could give the listeners a little background about yourself, um, like, how'd you get into public service and politics? Sure. Well, thanks, Patrick, for having me. Um, I have a 30-year uh, history as an urban planner, working on land use, transportation, and environmental issues. So uh, as a planner, uh, my job is to sort of understand municipal issues at a policy and a really sort of local level. And so during my career, I've always... Uh, help to shape public policy uh, from a public agency and consultant standpoint, and um, have always served on planning commissions. And uh, when I saw the direction of Belmont, I felt that my background in urban planning could bring some value to the collective conversation about what Belmont wants to be when it grows up. Do you currently work for the city of Belmont? Uh, no, no. Oh. Um, that that would be wrong. <laughs> no, I have uh, worked um, much of my career for public agencies, most recently as the director of uh, transportation planning at Samtrans and Caltrain. Uh, but right now I am a transportation consultant. Okay, well, we encourage you to listen to Seamus Murphy with Caltrain's. We did an exclusive interview with him on transportation. Um, so what got you involved in politics, of all things? Aside from your urban uh, planning, did you have, was there some influence in your life that uh, drew you into getting involved and in trying to make some social change? 
Oh, well, from my high school days, I've always been involved in, in government, whether it was uh, student government or working with elected officials, uh, advising them on transportation and environmental and land use issues. So, again, because of the nature of what I did, um, I was always a big picture guy. And so um, I have thought about um, public office for a number of years. I lived in Los Angeles for a number of years, for example, and um, thought about doing that. But it wasn't until recently that I wanted to take my background and apply it in a different uh, venue, and that is on a city council. Okay, how long have you been on the city council? About two and a half years now. Two and a half years. And is there any term limits in the, the city of Belmont? No. No. Okay, and as you know, the one unique city that we have is San Bruno is the only one that elects their mayor. And I heard this story about some disgruntled person that lost out on the election for mayor or something. So they decided to make it an elected office in the city of, of, of San Bruno. So I'm very unique. I, I would encourage you to go ahead and listen to some of those people. Listen to Rico Medina. Uh, a really, really nice guy. Let's go back to something since you said you're kind of more concerned about the environmental. One of the concerns with talking with some of the mayors on the peninsula is the environmental impact reports. Um, I'm passionate about keeping the infrastructure uh, proper and stuff. I really feel that we are outdated on our, our environmental impact reports. And, and um, obviously, one of the environmental in, impact reports bases on police safety and all that stuff. With the build-out that we have on the peninsula, I'm pretty sure that we're using an archaic environmental impact report uh, in most of the cities. What's your opinion? Well, uh, so in my career, I've prepared plenty of environmental impact reports. Now, I don't focus on the public services end of things. I will really will focus on uh, things like air quality, noise, uh, sometimes traffic. But that is one of the challenges for cities as they grow is matching, uh, ma making sure that you align growth with infrastructure, right? And there's often a chicken or egg dilemma. Um, but in general, growth should be located where our infrastructure and public services can accommodate it. So certainly police services, school services, those are things you want to have in place when you um, accommodate growth. So um, to the, I mean, environmental impact reports must and should uh, make sure that a city is prepared to um, accept that type of growth. Is it on the peninsula, maybe you don't know the answer, maybe you do, do we use pretty much one standard environmental impact company? No, no. no. There are dozens of, okay. of, of organizations that help put together these environmental studies. Okay. Most of our city's budget operating 50% of its police and fire. So this kind of goes along with what we're talking about um, with the environment. With the rapid growth of building more housing uh, and the more transportation, do you think we're not accommodating um, emergency services? I know a lot of the cities, whether it's Burlingame or Foster City, and I'm sure Belmont is in that same thing. We're doing what we call CERT, Certified Emergency Response Team. In other words, people to assist if we need, if we have a catastrophe. What do you think, what do you think of that? Do you think we can do a better job of protecting our citizens? Well, given that public safety is a top priority in our city, like most cities, um, we have to always be vigilant and on our A-game when it comes to addressing current deficiencies and addressing the uh, 
public safety needs mm. of growth. You know, you, you start off by talking about the rapid growth on the peninsula. Um, I don't see rapid growth, certainly, in housing. Um, that's not for a lack of trying. But, um, yeah, we, as we and the state and others really try to promote uh, smart growth, um, transit-oriented development, uh, more affordable housing, we absolutely have to make sure that our public services in uh, their planning are prepared for that type of growth. Um, hopefully that growth is going to be along El Camino and our major urban corridors where a lot of our public safety services are focused. But um, no, I would never say that we're doing enough. I think we're doing a great job, certainly in Belmont. I know the county is doing a lot to ready itself for predictable and unpredictable um, incidents. But um, we have to make sure that our growth ambitions um, are paired with a proper uh, pr preparation from our public services. Uh, well, I want to congratulate the city of Belmont. I know they've got a housing uh, development that's going to be 100% affordable housing. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a great article in the Daily Journal from Charles Stone, um, a council person himself. Um, how is that going? Um, now, is that going to be, when we talk affordable housing, is that, uh, is, and, you, and you also mentioned in the article, Sarah Regis is going to be part of it. And where I want to kind of go with that, the city of Foster City uh, had a Pilgrim Triton that was zoned commercial and retail, and they're rezoning it, and they're going to call it workforce housing. Now, I don't think we've kind of, most cities have not worked out that definition of workforce housing. What is this project that we're talking about, the 100 units? Is it going to be affordable housing? Is it going to be workforce housing? What is, what, what is it going to be? Well, Patrick, there's uh, two primary uh, affordable housing projects happening in Belmont. One is um, on a vacant piece of, well, on a piece of property in El Camino near Ralston um, that will be 100% affordable. And we have an exclusive negotiating agreement with a builder to build that project out. Um, the other project that you may have heard about recently is on a property known as Firehouse Square. Um, now, this past Tuesday, our council took action to um, consider some changes to that project. That project was going to be a mix of uh, market rate and affordable housing um, built by Cirrus Regis. Uh, what we approved on Tuesday was a slight pivot where Saris Regis would pair with an affordable housing developer, Mid-Peninsula uh, Mid Housing, to uh, build two projects that would look and feel the same but be handled by Saris Regis on the market rate side and mid Pen on the affordable side. And the upshot of all that is that that arrangement potentially could triple the amount of affordable housing on that site in Belmont. Now, that project would not be 100% affordable, but it would be primarily affordable. When we talk about that uh, affordable, is this property still going to be owned by the city of Belmont, or will there be individual ownership? I know um, Foster City's talking it could be Penn Housing, it could whatever housing development is monitoring. It sounds like this project is going to be still be owned by the city of Belmont. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, okay. So when we do that, this is going to put 
um, affordable rentals, not affordable ownership property. Isn't that right? The uh, the uh, affordable component of this would be rentals, yes. Okay. Um, now, I'm seeing that wave down the peninsula, so we're not really building uh, housing for people to purchase. We're trying to build affordable. Now, with your understanding and your city, and uh, are you going to be giving, how is the guidance is um, going to be on this affordable housing? Is How are, is the city of Belmont Council going to develop uh, that medium, or is this something from San Mateo County that says the medium income of $85,000, family of three or two or whatever it may be, How what's the criteria for it? Well, the criteria are going to be developed during the the negotiations on this exclusive negotiating agreement. We've got we've got ninety days for this development team to iron out the parameters of this joint development. And you know, we as a council have said that we want affordability uh, defined in terms of the number and the depth of affordability, and so. We're working out those details, but we want to make sure that we have a range of housing products available at different affordability levels, and we don't want those units just to be uh, SROs or one-bedroom units. We'd like to see affordable housing made available to families, meaning two or more bedrooms, for example. So those details will be worked out. Okay, let's go back to the buzzword that's on the peninsula, and that's workforce housing. This is for our teachers, our police, and fire. I'm not hearing you saying that. Um, so I am a little bit concerned. Um, we're, we're starting to say that in Foster City. And, of course, the, the positive buzzword to say it's all for uh, first responders or it's all for police and fire. And the reality on the peninsula for the last 30 years, police and fire don't live here. Right. Okay. But I'm not. I'm concerned about police and fire. But I'm more concerned right now on the teachers, the lawyers, the chiropractors, uh, the attorneys. What can we do um, on that component? Do you think that um, workforce housing should be incorporated in what, what you guys are doing here? Workforce housing is a buzzword. I think the goal of this project is to make sure that it is that housing is made available to those on lower incomes. Now, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a first responder, if you meet the income qualifications, we think it's important that you qualify to get into these units. And so, you know, the whole notion of workforce housing requires a much more managed process, and it's a little trickier. I know from working at SamTrans on workforce housing initiatives there that it's complicated when you try to designate spots just for folks that work for your agency. Our goal with this project here uh, in Belmont is to make sure that we have all depths of affordability available to folks in the workforce that are generally blue-collar workers that would qualify from an income perspective. Okay, I'm wondering if you heard, I I heard somewhere an article I read that Caltrans has some 30 acres of where surplus rail cars are at, and they, they may want to develop it, develop that into affordable housing. Have you heard about that at all? Yeah, I, I don't know what the number of acres right. is. Um, primarily, uh, you know, and Seamus Murphy can speak to this. Um, the properties that are available for these kinds of joint development projects are near the rail right of way or near the uh, Caltrain stations, of course. So, um, I know that they are looking at um, transit-oriented development. Um, 
Okay, let's go into the housing a little bit further. I want to dissect something that I've been passionate about. Um, we give developers, which is real positive, some tax credit for building near quarter transportation places. And that seems to be a real positive thing, whether it's near Caltrains or whether it's near El Camino or whether it's near Bar or wherever it was. But the reality is we still build units with cars and we still build parking. How can we do a much better job? Because there is no study indicating, to my knowledge, unless you know of it, indicating that anybody that lives near a train corridor for transportation actually take it. Yeah, that is one of the big debates going on right now in the push for more affordable transit-oriented development housing. I talk with developers and housing advocates all the time. Um, The costs of housing our cars in these projects is obviously a big driver of the bottom line for these developers. Um, They want to make sure that parking uh, meets the needs of their customers, and yet they know that the costs of building garages and paving parking lots is expensive. So um, we're in a transition phase, in my opinion, Patrick, where um, the old days of a two-car garage and adults each having a car are starting to change, whether it's ride-sharing services or improved transit. We know that our kids' kids will likely have fewer cars. We're already starting to see that. But we're in this transition where those of us who are older still cling to our cars. And so it presents a challenge for cities as we entitle projects, particularly those near Caltrain stations. Do you park them for the boomer generation or do you park them for the millennials. One of the things that I see a lot of folks doing, and we're doing with a project that's being built on Davy Glen, is to say to developers, let's try to um, find a compromise. Build your garages, if, if that's the case, to be flexible. And so we called for a developer to put in parking lifts, right? to take advantage of the high ceilings in these garages. And, you know, that way you're able to provide parking for today's needs. Now, over time, as you and I move out of these buildings and our kids move in and they don't need the cars, those property managers can take those lifts out and eventually convert those parking spaces to other uses for um so are you, guys doing, are you guys doing that in Belmont right now? Yeah. Okay, well, I admire you because most cities aren't uh, doing that, that, what you're doing with the lifts and stuff. And I think it's practical. One of the biggest problems is, is the single driver. Uh, they're still pretty much on the road, uh, whether we do carpool lanes. I want to go into something um, that, that a lot of the listeners and most of the mayors that I interviewed um, seem, seem to be interested in seeing a regional uh, transportation district. As you know, we don't. We have Caltrain, we have BART. We're all fighting. They're all fighting for the same federal and state and tax dollar. The only thing we currently can say that we have is a clipper card. And a clipper card is wonderful, but we still do not connect transportation. And the city of Belmont and the city of San Mateo and the city of Foster City, we all fight for that same tax dollar, but we all work independently of each other. So I think that we collectively could come up with some solutions. I'll just give you an example. I challenged Mayor Sam Hindi and and also Rick Bonilla, the city of San Mateo. 
One of the biggest problems on Hillsdale Boulevard is we don't have a commuter lane to get to uh, the Caltrain. Um, and I, I talked to a lot of the techie people and they said, Patrick, you got to be kidding. It's going to take me 45 minutes to get on Hillsdale Boulevard to the train. So why am I going to do it? So I think we need to develop a plan. Do you think that, that the uh, city should look at, at developing a transit district with a plan? What appears that we do is we talk with ABAG and you guys go all to these nice seminars and the statistics seem to change each year. And I've been to most of them myself, but we don't see any proactive cooperation with surrounding cities. Um, we interviewed uh, Carl Gardena with uh, Red Regional Measure 3, and I'm excited because he did an exclusive interview and we, he's uh, helped to push that regional measure for the nine counties which is going to help Caltrains electrify and also hopefully get a lot of those people off the phone. So I asked you a big question. So how do you want to tackle? How do you want to tackle that? Well, I can unpack some of that. Um, so as I mentioned before, uh, I have over three decades of experience working in the trenches on planning and delivering infrastructure projects. So you talked a little bit about transit and the sort of decentralized nature of how transit is delivered here in the Bay Area. Um, I spent much of my time in Los Angeles where you have more centralization with the planning, construction, and operation of a transit system. Um, There are pros and cons to the way that we do public transit in our area and the way we do it in other areas. Here's the thing, though. If you just put aside San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, and just focus on San Mateo County, Public transit, by and large, is delivered on the bus side by one organization, on the train side by one organization. You have a patchwork network of shuttles, admittedly, that are run by different organizations. Um, So public transit is one issue. Now, what you talked about on Hillsdale Boulevard, first of all, you have to decide and get consensus on whether or not some of these progressive ideas like an exclusive carpool lane on Hillsdale, for example, uh, makes sense. But you're always going to have cities that have primary local control of what to do with a thoroughfare like Hillsdale Boulevard. So I don't think anything is ever going to change local control. The question to me is whether or not countywide organizations like CCAG and whether regional organizations like MTC should help cities think, plan, and deliver projects that are for the greater good. Uh, I think cities do a good job in thinking about what makes sense for their city, but CCAG and MTC are part of that equation too. And I think those organizations are fine the way they are. The uh, the question is whether or not the ideas, the progressive things that you're talking about, sort of make their way either top down or bottom up. So we can always do a better job in planning more progressively. The whole issue of autonomous vehicles is one example of another issue that is starting to unfold before us. And I think we all have a challenge in deciding whether we want to start plumbing our cities to accommodate this next gen uh, development. So um, central planning to the extent you're, you're talking about that, has a role, but I think it's already being done while honoring the fact that local cities have 
uh, primary control over what happens in their city. Well, I want to encourage you to listen to Dave Tanner. Dave Tanner, uh, we have a podcast by him. He's a council person in, in Woodside. He's been there for 18 years. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're aware of his proposal. Uh, Tamfran Shopping Center is going to be pretty much leveled. Um, he's got a 380 connection with a monorail system that will drop most of these people off. I think the monorail system, if he gets the easements or he gets the backing, would drop people off every 20 or 30 minutes in some of the surrounding cities where the good majority of the people that are driving on that freeway and those commuter hours from 7 a.m. to 8 o'clock at night. What do you think of Dave Tanner's proposal? Do you think it makes sense? Well, I don't know the particulars. What I do know is that there are a lot of ideas out there for building fixed guideway systems that will transport large number of people from long distances across the Bay Area. And in concept, there's nothing wrong with that. The devil is always in the details. And that's why you have people that spend a lot of time sort of projecting out what the ridership will be like, what the capital operating costs will be like. One of the big challenges with any of these ideas is when you do move people across long distances, and they get off at that train station, what then? The whole last mile issue. We see it today with Caltrain. Uh, it's, it's an issue across the country. Those connecting services, if they're not super frequent, will, will leave commuters stranded waiting for 15, 20 minutes, and that kills ridership. So what, whatever you think about these large ideas for people movers, they have to be paired with last-mile solutions that make sense. Otherwise, um, the whole concept falls apart. So I'm a big believer in looking at home, you know, door-to-door services and making sure that we don't get them just 90% of the way. Okay. Well, I think you're right, um, but I also think we're far beyond that point. We, we really haven't thought macro we're been more micro, uh, meaning we just kind of patch our own little thing. Interesting talk with, with Seamus Murphy, and, I, and, and it was kind of surprising, but not totally surprising, that he said the Sam Tram is for senior citizens and for the poor. He says the, the bus system uh, really is not an efficient system. And I, I, I was very sad about that, but I can also understand that it couldn't become an efficient system Primarily, in my opinion, maybe you have a different because of the gridlock with all the with all of the uh, with with all of the problems that commuters would not be able to get to their designation on time or current. So we still have a passion and a love for the vehicle, the single car. So I would like to see if we could somehow change that. So um, I'd like you to look at the Dave Tanner thing because I think Dave's got a, a really good idea. Thirty to forty percent of the people, and we live in—I live in Foster City—are coming from the East Bay. Okay, a good portion of them are, probably thirty percent. If we could get those people off the roads, I think we'd be much more efficient. And I, you're right; it's a much more complicated thing uh, than we think. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at the travel markets from the East Bay. There certainly are people that come from the east to the west across the bridges. Um, a lot of us are really focused in on a lot of north-south transit markets and travel markets to make sure that 
we deal with the 101 freeway and El Camino traffic as well. So there are a lot of good ideas out there. Um, and with RM3 passing, we'll have a little bit more um, investment in some of these big capital ideas. So tell me, you've been in this, the city of Billman and on city council. Tell me some of the things that you feel that you've accomplished as a city council person, as a mayor. Uh, certainly in my time uh, on the city council and in, the recent, in our recent history, I think Belmont has really become more progressive in addressing the needs of our community. Good government is a big theme right now in our city. So we understand that there is no free lunch. And so for uh, our city, we've made a conscious decision to try to reinvest in, in our infrastructure and address some of the deferred maintenance that we, like many cities, have seen. Unlike Foster City, the quality of our roads has declined steadily over the years. So we've focused on that. We've done the things that people expect government to do, which is fix potholes, keep the lights on, and make sure that day-to-day -day services work. Uh, what we've also done, Patrick, is to address a long-standing issue that folks up and down the peninsula uh, have complained about, which is, um, why do I need to go to Belmont? What is there? Uh, we've really lacked a heart for our city. We have a patchwork downtown. And what we're trying to do is create a more memorable destination for our residents and folks throughout the peninsula. Well, you have an excellent concert series and cultural things at <laughs> Twin Pines. I recently uh, attended the Hungarian Festival. Absolutely. Not that I'm Hungarian, but I, I had an opportunity to go with some Hungarian people, and I was quite impressed. No, I, I've had a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to experience Twin Pines, and I'll let you know this is something unique, and you probably would not know it. Probably about 35 years ago, I was in an organization called the JCs. We built the handicap ramp for you here at Twin Pines in, in <laughs> Belmont. So that's a little trivia. Now let's go with one more thing, bigger picture. What do you, what, what, what do you see down the road happening in Belmont that is going to make it a much more vibrant place than it already is? I think we are going to make steps to developing a downtown that's memorable, that will be a destination that will be somewhat unique. Um, we are working on some placemaking initiatives to create a little bit more personality for our city. I want folks to know when they've entered uh, into our city from San Mateo, from San Carlos, that Belmont um, is different. And so we're a great suburban community. I want to create a little bit more personality and more reasons for people to come to Belmont. And I want to make sure that we're known for being more than just a stop on the Caltrain system. Well, I got my graduate degree in 2010 from Notre Dame. So I would tell you, I one time was on Ralston and I probably did something that was, I might have crossed over a double yellow line. And I will tell you, <laughs> I did get out of it. I got a warning. So, and I, that was a, probably a few years back, but I thought that was great. I was quite impressed with the, uh, the Belmont, uh, I think it was a motorcycle cop, so that was even more awesome. So I, I, I really greatly appreciated the courtesy that they had extended to me. Well, first of all, congratulations on your time at Notre Dame. You've actually touched on two things that I think Belmont 
is known for. One is its civic festivals. You know, we have, as you say, different ethnic um, festivals um, and our education. You know, we welcomed a new uh, private school, Crystal Springs Uplands, to our community. And between that, uh, all of our high schools, middle schools, Notre Dame, I think we are a city of education and we're really quite proud of it. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, Doug Kim is public servant mayor. Thank you very much for taking your time. We greatly appreciate it. We, we would wish you the best of luck. Thanks. Thank you, Patrick. Another beautiful rendition by Leo DeVito entitled Somewhere in the Hills. And you can hear that song in its entirely on the Highway Soul Music page under Leo DeVito. Check it out and you can hear the whole entire song right there. So hope you enjoyed the show and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. 
check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.